want to talk about this passage from Thessalonians tonight, and it's not, you don't hear a lot of sermons on Thessalonians, at least I don't remember doing many, but just as we sang the song tonight, I realized that, that it is well with my soul, it's based on this passage, I don't know if anybody caught that. We are on. We are in First Thessalonians chapter four, and starting in verse thirteen. Yep. So, really quickly, this is one of the earliest books in the, in the Bible. It's one of Paul's earliest letters, and he wrote it to a church that he had recently started. And that church, he said, "Listen, Jesus died and rose from the grave, and you should look for his return." And in the meantime, apparently, some of the members of this congregation had died, and they were worried that somehow those that had died were going to miss out somehow when Jesus returned. They believed in Jesus' death and resurrection, but they were concerned about those that had died, and they had a question about that. And this passage here in particular is that question, so I want to look at that tonight. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do, who have no hope. He starts out by saying, I don't want you to be uninformed. In another translation, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant. Paul doesn't like ignorance. For Paul, knowledge, especially knowledge of the gospel, knowledge of God, is crucial. It's crucial. It's important. Knowledge brings many blessings. And in this case, the knowledge that he wants to share with the Thessalonians is meant to bring great comfort. And so when Paul says this in his letters, he's teaching on something that's sort of central and crucial to the gospel. Now notice that he says, he uses this language of being asleep, those who are asleep. This is one of Paul's favorite images, in fact, the New Testament's favorite images for death. It repeatedly says that those who have died have gone to sleep. If you remember in the account of Lazarus' death, Jesus says, well, Lazarus is asleep. And the disciples are like, well, if he's asleep, he'll wake up. And Jesus has to finally say, guys, he's died. Um, it's the Bible's favorite way of speaking about death. And I think it's in part because of what Jesus does to death. Jesus defeats death and makes it such that death is not final, but it is like sleep. It's something that will be over in kind of a nighttime. So why does he use it? Another reason I think he uses this image is because the, the body seems to be asleep when it dies. Just as we fall asleep and our body is in some sense inert, it seems as though the dead are inert. You sleep and you wake up. And for Paul, because of the gospel of Jesus, you die, you will rise from the dead in the same way that you rise from sleep. And the scriptures indicate that those who have died in Christ are consciously and joyfully with Jesus. They are aware of his goodness and his presence. Remember what Jesus says to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. That's a promise he could bank on and experience that he's going to be with Jesus. Paul says in Philippians, it is better for me to die and to be with Christ. That's not some kind of unconscious state, but it's a, it's a promise that he is going to be with the one in whom he has hoped all his life. And so for Paul, I think that this is an image of, hey, the body seems like it's sleeping, but it will one day rise. But the dead in Christ, those that sleep, are with him and enjoying him. But they're waiting for something. They're waiting. It's good to be with Jesus, but they're waiting for the final resurrection. So Paul acknowledges the grief. He says, guys, we have grief. 
And I, but I don't want you to grieve as those who have no hope. Some people have thought that he, Paul meant they shouldn't grieve at all. I don't think that's what he means. I think, yes, you're inevitably going to grieve, just as Jesus grieved when Lazarus died. But we have this promise and this hope that death is not the last word. And so our grief, though real and though powerful, is meant to be mixed with joy. It is meant to be mixed with a joy in this promise that we await in the gospel of Jesus. We have a hope, and we who are in Christ will one day receive the fulfillment of that promise. For Paul, this is the key question. Having no hope means not being in Christ. If you're not in Christ through faith, uh, you don't have that hope. But for Paul, that is the hope that the Thessalonians have and that he has, that we are in him. And that because we are in him, death cannot harm us ultimately. Verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. When Paul uses this language, we believe it should kind of remind you of the Apostles' Creed because Paul is doing a little very foundational work here. This is one of the fundamentals of what we believe, that Jesus died and rose again. That death has done its worst and it can do no more. Death will no longer, um, no longer touch Jesus. It has done its worst and he has defeated it. His body slept. It seemed as though he were asleep, but on the third day he rose again to have a new and transformed body. This, Paul says, is central to what we've always said. And Paul is saying that in one sense, yes, we are separated now. In one sense, we are separated from the Lord. In one sense, we are separated from those who have died in Christ. But in another sense, we are not. Because the Bible says that believers in Jesus are in him. And so if I'm in, I'm in him, and you're in him, if you're on the other side of the planet, we're still together in a sense. And Paul wants to say, if I'm in him, and somebody who has died is in him, we are still together. We are still connected by our faith in Jesus. We said it in the creed tonight. This is what the creed means by the communion of the saints. It says that the dead in Christ and us are united in a way that's more significant than any other kind of human uniting. It is a real and a, and a life-giving connection. Temporarily, we're separated. Temporarily, as we said, we cannot see or speak with those who have died in Christ. But they are in Him and we are in Him. And that connection cannot be broken. And the promise of Scripture is that we will be reunited with Christ. Paul says here, Paul says in this passage, he will, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. This means that Jesus return, he will bring all who have fallen asleep in him with him. And we will get to see them. We will see Jesus and we will see them. It will be a reunion of the union that we share now, but we're waiting for a full fulfillment of it. Verse 17. Then we who are alive, who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Paul says that those who are still alive when Jesus returns will be seized, will be grasped, will be lifted up. 
And it says we'll be lifted up into the clouds. And sometimes I think we get confused here. I think we think sort of a literal love or something about the, the meteorolo meteorology. But Paul is not talking about the weather. When you think of clouds in Scripture, it should call to mind several important things. For example, in Exodus 19, when Moses goes up the mountain, there's a cloud. When Ezekiel saw a vision of God's presence in exile in Babylon, he saw a cloud. When Jesus is taken up after his resurrection, it says he's taken up in a cloud. In the Bible, this cloud is God's presence. It speaks of his presence coming to his people. So this cloud is the coming of Jesus to his people. It says, we will meet the Lord. We will meet the Lord Jesus. This is a great word. It means something like when in the ancient world, when a, when a famous person came to a city and people would go out and meet that person as they came to the city and they would honor that person and then they would return to the city with that person. In fact, a very early preacher in the church said, it's very much like when maybe a father gets home and the kids run out to meet him and then they come back into the house. It's a meeting of a, a person you have missed, a person that you want to see, a person that we're excited that has returned. Now, think, I just noticed that I skipped some verses, so I'm going to back up. Some of you are scratching your head. So in verse 15, when we read that, For we declare to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. This answers their question. Is, are they going to miss out, those who have died in Christ? And Paul's answer to that is a definitive no. They're not going to miss out. They're not going to miss out at all. Verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend. We just sang about it. The Lord will descend. The trump will resound and the Lord shall descend. The Lord will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, listen to those words and think, where have we seen or heard this before? A voice, a trumpet, clouds. I just mentioned it a minute ago. This is Sinai. When God's presence comes down onto the mountain and when Moses ascends into the mountain, to meet with God. Listen to this passage from Exodus 19:16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because of the Lord, because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. The scripture says that in the fullness of time, Jesus will descend, just like God's presence descended on Mount Sinai. And those who have fallen asleep, the scripture says, will rise first. All those who have fallen asleep, Nico and others, will rise first. Now, why does it say descend? I think this is important. Um, notice that it says that we will ascend. I shortcut it and went to that. That we will ascend. We will be caught up in the air and we will meet him. And that he will descend. Why is that? Because I think the promise of Scripture, one of the, the last promises of Scripture, is that God's place and our place will become one. In the book of Revelation, we see the new Jerusalem descending from heaven, from God, and coming to earth. 
And in this promise, we are promised that Jesus will descend and his people will ascend to meet them. Just like God's presence descended on the mountain and Moses ascended on the mountain. We pray all the time, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The Lord will descend on earth and the dwelling place of God will be with men. And we, as Paul says, will be with him forever. That is good news. Amen? So now, 17 again. Then we who are alive and left will be caught up in the air with them. We will meet them in the cloud, meet the Lord in the air, so we will always be with the Lord. So again, we're caught to meet Jesus. We are caught to meet him and those who are with him that he brings. And the promises, and this is the most important thing in the whole, the whole thing, we will always be with the Lord. A lot of people like to speculate a lot about the last things. And a lot of people get a lot wrong. Paul is not interested in all those speculations. He's interested in the most important thing, that we will be with Jesus, that we will be with Nico, that we will be with one another, and that that will go on forever and ever and ever, that it is a joy and a celebration, dare I say, a party. That's what he wants to encourage us with. That's what he wants to remind us of. This is what he says. I don't want you to be ignorant of this, brothers. So he says in verse 18, Therefore encourage one another with these words. The whole aim of all of this is not to teach them details so that they can go around speculating about the geography of heaven. He wants us to be encouraged in the midst of grief, real grief, real pain. He wants us to be encouraged. And he wants us to encourage one another. He wants us to remind one another of these promises and this hope. Leon Morris said, whether we live or whether we die, we do not go beyond his power. Nico's not gone beyond his power. We cannot go beyond his power here in Christ. So again, in these passages, there's nothing here for curiosity, but there's everything here for encouragement. There's nothing here for us to geek out on in terms of speculation, but there's plenty here for us to be encouraged about, about the Lord's coming. Amen? That personal promise that we will be with the Lord and that he will be with us and that the dwelling place of God will be with man. One last thing I want to mention, and then I'd like to read what I read to the kids one more time. One of the most important things I think we can do and one of the most important things Christians need to know to do is how to grieve and how to lament. Because we'll grieve over Nico's passing, but there's a lot to lament about in the world. There's a lot of brokenness. And the scripture says that Jesus was a man of sorrows. We have joy, but it's a joy with an undertone of grief because we're waiting for God to finally set the world right and heal it. And so we've got to be a people of joy, but we've also got to be a people who know how to sorrow and know how to lament, and know how to recognize those things. But one of the things I think it's important for us to do when we lose somebody to death is also to remember them, is to remind one another about them, to talk about them, all right? Because that memory reminds us that we will see them again, that there will be a reunion with them, amen? Mm -hmm. All right, so let me close with this, uh, with this passage here. Where will I go when I die? 
Where did all the dead go? Wherever it is, Jesus went there too. He went down as far as we had fallen. He took death's keys to free the captives. He overcame death with his life. He took Eve and Adam, our first parents, by the hand and made them his sister and brother. When I die, Jesus meets me there and takes me by the hand. He is God's strong son, my strong brother. Is anything stronger than death? Yes, Jesus. That's what I believe. Pray with me.